Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible study podcast for women. I'm your host, Amy Spreeman. Check out all the Bible studies at Naomi'sTable.com. Now here's teacher Beth Seifert with today's lesson in 2 Corinthians. So pull up a chair, open your Bibles, and let's begin. Welcome back to our study in the book of 2 Corinthians, ladies. Today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 11, and I've titled this section, To Enter Into Suffering. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians 1, and we'll read the first 11 verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope, that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf, for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So this letter starts out and we see who's writing. Paul is writing along with Timothy and they are writing directly to the church at Corinth as the primary audience. Paul did intend that this letter would go further than Corinth though and we see that reflected in this opening greeting as well. So while the original audience and specific issues are addressing Corinth, these things are not secret and are not so unique to Corinth as to be unable to be applied more generally to all the believers who would read this letter. This, by the way, includes us. So Paul starts the letter giving us his credentials, an apostle of Christ by God's will. Paul never loses sight of the reality that he didn't apply to be a minister of the gospel of Christ. God pretty much hijacked Paul's life on that road to Damascus, and Paul's entire direction in life changed to spread the gospel that he'd tried to destroy. That was God's direct call on Paul's life. That was not Paul seeing the error of his ways and turning away from those things. While this letter indicates that Timothy is writing this as well, the authorship of this letter is very much Paul. 
However, Timothy may have been Paul's scribe, or may even have helped with the letter in other ways, but don't lose sight of the fact that this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's where this letter comes from. So, while these are most definitely Paul's words, they are also most definitely God's words as well, and we must keep that in mind as we go throughout this letter. Paul isn't putting forth his own defense just for his own reputation's sake. Paul is defending the gospel as he defends himself, and in doing so, God is the one directing and inspiring him to do so. Paul begins with a general greeting, offering grace and peace to these believers, the grace and peace that is only found in God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This may seem like a throwaway line, but really think about it for a second. Think about what grace is. Undeserved favor. It's being given what you don't deserve in a good way. Think about how God offers that to us through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Think about the peace that we attain through him, peace with God, reconciliation to him, and peace of conscience as well. Savor those words a bit. If that is the basis for this letter, for this greeting, for this interaction with these people, what a precious greeting this truly is. Grace is also seen in the ordinary events of everyday life, as peace is also seen in the social order that the people enjoyed. So there's both a spiritual and a practical aspect to this greeting. Now, keep in mind that Paul is writing to a church who has had lots of problems. The biggest problem they've struggled to deal with was their pride, which manifested itself in many sinful ways. Their pride led them to value the ability of the speaker rather than discern the content of what was being taught. Their pride led them to consider themselves as wiser, nobler, better than those who were outside of their experiences. Their pride led them to misapply several key principles regarding liberty in Christ, and they ended up not only in sin, but in moral bankruptcy, giving Christ a bad name. Paul has been rebuking these people, correcting and teaching and exhorting them to hold firm and to dig into their faith and be united to other believers as they should be through the Holy Spirit. Knowing this, we see that Paul wastes no time in jumping into this letter. Paul starts this letter by praising a specific attribute of God. Again, he's setting the tone for the letter. He praises God's mercy and then his comfort. What is mercy? Mercy is not being given the punishment that you do deserve. Withholding of just punishment. The mercy of God in not punishing us as we justly deserve to be punished, along with his grace in providing salvation to us, which we absolutely do not deserve to have. What an amazing comfort there is in that. This was a message that needed to be put forth first to these believers. They needed to be reminded of the amazing grace that had already been extended to them and to be pointed to Christ for their comfort, which is exactly what Paul does. Look specifically at who Paul mentions being comforted here. Those who are in affliction. God comforts us with the ultimate comfort, yes, but also with real, tangible, earthly comfort. And that is provided in the body of Christ. Paul says in verse 4, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Ladies, the source of our comfort is God, and the comfort we have to offer to others is the finished work of Christ on the cross. It's the gospel. That may sound like a trite answer, but I'll tell you what, 
Many times have I counseled a woman going through something that I've never dealt with, and while I may not have personal experience with their trial, I can always see so clearly the truth that God is in that trial. The truth of the gospel applies all the way across. The truth that reminds us that if we are in Him, first of all, nothing can separate us from Him or snatch us from His hand. Knowing just that, that our eternity has been secured by our resurrected Savior, so many trials are broken down to their appropriate size. They no longer seem so insurmountable when you realize that whatever you are enduring, your eternity is secure. Secondly, knowing that whatever sin of your own may be involved in this trial, when we confess it to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us, and we are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Do you see it? Do you see how the gospel truly applies everywhere? And it is in that hope, in knowing the mercy shown to us by God's grace through the death and resurrection of Christ, that we can comfort others. I can say as I weep with that friend in her hurt, I don't know why God has this for you, but I know that he is still good, and I know that he is still in control. He is trustworthy. You can trust him even in this. Paul continues to drive this point home, just as the sufferings of Christ are felt in our lives in many ways, and especially very literally in Paul's life, so too do we have the hope that he has provided. Jesus knew what the end game was. He knew that he had to take God's wrath upon himself in order that we might have eternal life with him. All believers are bought by his blood, and he willingly died for us so that he could save his people. And he does save We know that he is able to save as he did not stay dead. Our comfort and hope is in being with him for eternity. And that eternity is secured for us through his suffering and death and resurrection. Look at how Paul talks here. Far from suffering being an anomaly, we see that suffering for Christ is actually the normative experience. Paul makes it clear that he personally is suffering specifically because of his association with Christ and that this suffering is not a surprise but is expected and that his suffering is in relation to the sufferings that our master, Christ, endured as well and that his sufferings will bring comfort from Christ in abundance. It all centers on Christ. So again, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, also shows the believers the direct connection that they have to this, to Paul's suffering. If Paul is afflicted, it is to provide comfort and salvation to these believers. Paul suffers to bring the hope of the gospel to them. It is for their benefit that he suffers, just as it was for all our benefit that Christ suffered. In Paul's suffering... As they see how God provides comfort for Paul through the believers, but also through a right understanding of who God is and of the purpose of suffering, these believers will also be strengthened and comforted for when they suffer. Again, suffering is the normal experience for believers. This is a when, not an if. It is important to know that our suffering has a purpose so that when it comes, we are not shaken, but we are comforted in the example set for us as we too carry our crosses and follow him. There's a quick guardrail here. Paul is not saying that his suffering somehow added to Christ's suffering or contributed something that was lacking in Christ's sacrifice. 
but God has called us to suffer for Christ, and so to follow in his footsteps. Paul was afflicted, ladies, horribly. In Asia, Paul and his companions were so utterly burdened they were completely beyond their own strength. They were sure they were about to die. They saw death coming. They were merely waiting for the final blow to fall that would end their earthly lives, and that isn't hyperbole. It's not an exaggeration. There was nothing they could see that would even offer them hope of prolonging their lives. And so, they rested in God. They stopped striving and relied on God instead of their own strength, and in so doing, they found that God wasn't done with them yet. They relied on the one who raises the dead, and they found that they were put back in the game for another few innings. They knew it wasn't because they were so clever as to find a way out themselves or to secure a rescue. They knew the source of their strength as they faced what they thought was their earthly end, and they held fast to him, and he prolonged their lives. He rescued them and continued to use them for his glory in the spreading of the gospel. God delivered them from deadly peril, and knowing this, knowing that God provided that deliverance, they know God can provide that again. God will deliver us all, ladies. That deliverance may be unto glory, but make no mistake, God will rescue us as he sees fit for each of us for each day. And Paul, in explaining this suffering and deadly peril, then does something that seems a little bit odd to us in our narcissistic world. He shifts the focus onto the reader. He calls on them to join with him in his suffering through prayer, thanking and praising God for rescuing Paul. He invites them into his sufferings in a way that clearly shows that his suffering isn't something that he's bragging about. This isn't about Paul. It's about God and his sovereignty and his comfort and mercy given to believers. It's about how believers are privileged to interject themselves into the lives of other believers through prayer as we lift up those who are suffering, interceding for them, and identifying with them in their trials. Also, Paul invites them to praise God with them on their behalf, to rejoice in his joy. Paul is really demonstrating what it looks like to truly mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice here. He's giving them practical, useful ways to enter in. And make no mistake, prayer is valuable and useful. It is not all I can do. It is often all that can be done. And that's not a small thing, ladies. So today, ladies, a couple of questions for us to consider. How are we entering into the suffering of our brothers and sisters in Christ? How are we comforting and encouraging others, even as we are comforted and encouraged? How are we building up the body, interceding for those who are in distress, and rejoicing with those who rejoice? How are we reacting when we are the ones suffering? Are we suffering for His sake, or are we suffering because of our own sin? How are we responding in those situations? Are we holding fast, bearing witness to who Christ is, and are we able to say, Though he slay me, still I will trust him? Or are we wallowing in self-pity, focused only on how we are impacted, and demanding that God rescue us? Ladies, when we are gods, when we truly belong to him, all our suffering has a purpose. When we are his, we can see that all things truly are for our good and for his glory, as Romans 8.28 says. So that hard situation you face today, if there was a better situation for you to be in for your sanctification and for God's glory, he would have put you there. He isn't out to squash you, ladies. 
He is out to show you who He is, and to draw you to Him so that you, like Paul, will stop trying to do everything on your own strength and will instead rest in Him. Are you taking comfort in Him, ladies, even in the midst of suffering? Or are you ranting at Him for being unjust to you? Remember, God is never unjust. All men will receive either justice or mercy and grace. We don't really want what we deserve. We want mercy. Do you find comfort in His Word today? If not, spend some time in prayer and ask God to help you to see His comfort and to rest in Him today. Ladies, you'll find the notes for the study under the Bible Studies tab of the website naomistable.com under the title, Enter Into Suffering.